we're in a very uncomfortable moment, being honest. I think for a lot of the traditional status quo, it's a very uncomfortable moment. That's where for me, it's really exciting to kind of go in and say, this is what's going on. This is where signals are leading us potentially into. And this is how you start to prepare to understand that things are changing. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kathy Hackle, Chief Futurist of Journey, a global design and innovation studio. Kathy speaks about her leadership in the metaverse, how she helps companies and even individuals build their brand there, and what excites her about merging the physical and virtual worlds. Kathy is a creator and a storyteller, and I hope you enjoy this future forward conversation. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us on the Women on the Move podcast. It's great to have you on. I am thrilled to be here. You have such an interesting career. We're really going to break this down. It might even be very technical, especially for me, but I think we're going to get there. So you have worked in metaverse-related fields. You've worked with really leading companies, HTC Vive, Magic Leap, Amazon Web Services. Tell us about your journey to becoming a metaverse expert and what that entails. Yeah, so I've been in metaverse-related industries, right, across many different spectrums of it, from VR to spatial computing to gaming over the last 10 years. So I've been in this for quite a while before the metaverse was a thing or before people started to talk about the metaverse. So it's been quite a journey. The funny part is I ended up in technology by chance. I didn't originally go to college to be in technology. I actually went for communications. So I come from a broadcast background, but eventually found my way into technology and I've been there for the last 10 years. So it's been lots of twists and turns, a lot of amazing opportunities. Worked as a VR evangelist with HTC Vive, and that was during the company's partnership with Steven Spielberg's adaptation of Ready Player One. So a lot of people watched the movie. HTC Vive was the VR headset partner, so that was really exciting. Went over to Magic Leap. For people that don't know the company, they were really ahead of their time creating spatial computing glasses. At some point when I went to work there, we thought it was the next Apple. So it was a really exciting time. And when I was there, it was an amazing team of people. I didn't work with him directly, but Neil Stevenson, the sci-fi writer that coined the term metaverse, was our chief futurist. A lot of little breadcrumbs, a lot of things along the way, going from communications background to going technical and now being part of this amazing industry. So I love that. It sounds like for every project and company that you were working with, you always found yourself at the nexus of technology and these new things and was able to learn, absorb things and really do a lot more than communications. I mean, get in there and really help the products evolve and the whole experience evolve. I think that's fantastic. So you're the founder and chief futurist at Journey. You lead the Metaverse Studio and you work with top brands on their Metaverse and Web3 strategies. What does that look like? Tell us about that role. What is it that you do? And bring to life some of the projects that you've worked on. It's been really exciting. I helped co-found Journey about two years ago. We say that we create real experiences for real people in whichever reality they choose. We do a lot of work in the physical world with physical builds, but we also do a lot of work in the virtual space. And that's more my purview, whether it is gaming, Roblox or Fortnite, or whether it's augmented reality or artificial intelligence. So I'm more overseeing kind of that virtual side of the house. We're just doing really, really interesting work and it's been quite a journey. So as a futurist, is it your job to really have that perspective of what's coming and then help companies get there, the companies that are hiring you? What does that look like? How do you lead someone to what might happen when they can't vision it? 
It's a lot of helping people understand uncertainty or make sense of potential futures. If you're trained in strategic force that use the plural futures, because we understand the future is not determined. There's many things that could happen. There's many potential futures. So when it comes to strategic foresight specifically, what we do is work with the companies to think about what is the potential future of cities or what is the potential future of banks and think about the potential futures ahead. And then say, if this is our preferred future, right? So there is a preferred future. How do we work back from that? What things can we start doing today to prepare for the things that could happen? With knowing that there's a lot of uncertainty, I personally do believe the strategic foresight should be central to any strategy, any company, country, brand is working on. So I do that from the strategic foresight. What I add to the mix other than the foresight is the actual technical knowledge of how do you start to build some of these solutions? What is the role of artificial intelligence? What does it have to do with spatial computing? What does it have to do with kind of where we're heading? How does gaming impact everything? I always say I'm a tech futurist, pretty much, because I'm very, very hyper-focused on technology and what are the second, third order effects of how everything could potentially pan out. And so can you give us an example of how you worked with a company to bring something to life and help them think through those technologies that you mentioned? I'll give you an example. So I was very, very lucky to be tapped by Walmart to work with them early on on thinking about what the metaverse means for them. I worked with them as a metaverse advisor in residence for a while, as a consultant, obviously. And then eventually, once we got to a point where they were like, okay, we want to build something. This looks like a really interesting place for us to explore, to start to go into. My team and actually helped build two really big builds in Roblox. So Roblox is a video game. It's an experience. There's a lot, a lot of millions of players in there. And we actually built something called Walmart Land inside Roblox and also Universal Play. There were two giant builds in Roblox that launched the same day. The concept here and the idea here was not, let's recreate Walmart in the physical world in the virtual space. It was more like, what could Walmart look like or be like if it's a new type of Walmart? So we created Walmart land and it was actually made up of different aisles, as in like aisles, but there were islands. We had one that had to do with music. We had one with fashion, one with cooking. So we kind of explored and it was kind of one of Walmart's first forays into this virtual space. Now they're doing a lot of really amazing things. That's a great example of how do you work with a company to think about strategies, start to think about if there is potential in these virtual spaces, what could it look like? And how do we start going in and actually implementing or creating things? One of the best experiences, though, in that project specifically was actually being able to produce a virtual concert. A lot of talk out there in the entertainment world about virtual concerts. People always talk about Travis Scott in Fortnite or Lil Nas X in Roblox. I actually got to work with three artists, Youngblood, Madison Beer, and Kane Brown, producing a virtual virtual concert inside Walmart land. It was called Electric Fest and it happened about a year ago. And I actually got to go to LA, work with the artists, helped choreograph a little bit on the motion capture side, worked with them also to select their virtual couture looks. What are they going to wear as avatars? I love my job. And I love the fact that I actually get to get in the trenches, work with these technologies on a very, very close level. I mean, that's where the magic is happening. That is so incredible. It's fun enough probably to work with people in real life, but we're in virtual world and really do anything is amazing. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Certainly as an adult consumer, I know Walmart very well. Maybe my children who don't but play Roblox will now see it there. And so you're introducing consumers to a whole new brand for them. What's that experience that you would like a Roblox player to have with Walmart in the virtual world? 
when you go into these virtual spaces and you create these worlds, you have to understand that you can't be brand led. You have to understand you have to be player focused. At the end of the day, anyone that's going into a Roblox, a Fortnite, a Rec Room, whichever game it is that they're playing, they're going there to have fun. I remember seeing a lot of early projects where people were like, oh, let's do this or let's teach kids to code. I'm like, great, that's great. But if they're going in there, they're really going in there to play and socialize. This is their new social network. So thinking through that, thinking like, how do you make it fun and authentic? authentic to the platform? How do you respect the player? How do you respect the community that's already built in there? And I think that goes back to the fact that especially for part of Gen Z and for Gen Alpha, this is their new social network. Gaming is their interactive space. I always talk about this and we recently launched a report with the Harvard Business Review's analytics service on Generation Alpha. It's a free report, free resource out there. Understanding the business value of Gen Alpha. So Gen Alpha are the kids of millennials, but any child born between 2010 and still being born. So the newer generation, and by 2030, they'll be about 10% of the workforce. So understanding how they see virtual and physical as a continuum and how these virtual spaces are truly where they're socializing. There's a lot of implications there when you start to think about the longer term. I'll give you a very, very fun example that we worked on very recently. So there's research that has been done by several sports teams, not leagues, but teams in soccer, football, (laughs) that has shown that younger kids between the ages of 5 and 12 decide what soccer team they're going to support, whether they're supporting their parents' team or the mom's team or they want to go the opposite route. That's Gen Alpha right there. So we worked actually with a sports team in Costa Rica called La Liga to launch an experience in Roblox. At this point, there's plenty of leagues in Roblox, but sports teams like Manchester United has an experience. And then the smaller sports team that's very innovative in Costa Rica launched an experience because they said, we need to be able to kind of tap into that younger generation. And they're not selling anything. What they're trying to create is fandom, is creating that affinity with the young players that are making those decisions. So that's a great, clear example of why people might think it's all fun and games and like, yes, it is. But it's also about starting to create that affinity for the brands that we love. Obviously, here in the States, we're really fanatics of our American football teams and et cetera. So soccer, obviously, being a global thing as well. So going into these virtual spaces allow us to create those connections. I love that when you think about affinity. I wonder, too, if it really is going to push brands to scrutinize who they are, to make sure they are authentic, push past what they see every day, what you currently experience. How do you think that's going to play out? I completely agree. I think that there's this paradigm shift happening for brands and understanding these virtual spaces, especially because for a very long time, if you think like the early 2000s, brands were like, oh, we'll never need a social media presence. (laughs) Remember those days? And I think that that's kind of where we are right now with some of these virtual spaces in the gaming side of the house. It's like, we don't need experiences. We don't need to be in there. Just wait. This generation is going to get older. We're at that moment. Brands need to understand, especially because they've been trained with social. Social, it's pretty much a one-way conversation. Yeah, I mean, there's comments and stuff. They post, they broadcast, that's it. With these worlds, you're co-creating. You're engaging in a totally different game. For brands, it's been a bit of a wake-up call. I'm thrilled to have like a front row seat to helping them understand these gaming spaces and the culture, right? The economies of scale that are happening in these virtual spaces. I don't think people realize how crazy it is. I'll share an example that I think might resonate with a lot of your listeners, especially ones that are parents or grandparents. I remember last Christmas, my son, who is a Roblox developer, avid gamer, all my kids are, he came up to me. He's like, hey, what is auntie so-and-so getting me for Christmas? 
And I said, oh, they're going to send you $40. And he immediately said, oh, that's a thousand Robux. He immediately did the conversion. <laughs> he can't do that with sterling or euros. You exactly how much that was in this virtual currency inside this game. That's just to signal that to these kids, these are economies of scale. This is going to change the paradigm of virtual revenue streams, of e-commerce. I mean, what is upon us is actually a really massive change. So we have looked at brands in the social media space and note that sometimes the brand can get away from you, meaning you are not always in control of the brand. You have consumers posting, you have conversations you can't even facilitate anymore. What do you think the metaverse means to brands? Is that the same? phenomenon? Is it even more amplified? What do you make of that? In this perspective, I really think it starts to be like your fans and your community are going to build your brand with you, especially when you're talking about world building. They're going to go in, they're going to co-create with you. So I give always these examples of some of the brands. I worked really early on and advised Nike on their metaverse journey. Nike's done great work with what they call Nike Swoosh, which is their Web3 community, where they're co-creating. They're allowing people to eventually co-create with them. I think that they understand the evolution of the brand and the evolution of how younger generations want to be a part of the brand. So it's hard, right? And for any corporate communications team out there, they're like, oh my God, no, like <laughs> the message. But if you look at companies like Nike, like I mentioned, or Starbucks, who has Starbucks Odyssey, they're starting to think about what does this mean in the long term? What does this mean as the future of the brand, the future of community, the future of fandom, and everything that's coming along the way? So we're in a very uncomfortable moment, being honest. I think for a lot of the traditional status quo, it's a very uncomfortable moment. That's where, for me, it's really exciting to kind of go in and say, this is what's going on. This is where the signals are leading us potentially into. And this is how you start to prepare to understand that things are changing. I am a big proponent of personal brands. I've worked on my personal brand. I've leveraged my personal brand. As you look at the younger generation going into the workforce, a lot of these kids are coming in with built-in audiences, social media or because they're gamers. And for any corporate brand, for any corporate communications team, that's pretty scary. Wow, this person has reached beyond maybe our CEO, <laughs> right? And they're a junior in the company. How do we control that? You can't control it. I really think that there's this whole reckoning that will happen in corporate America when it comes to these younger people that are coming in with these audiences and personal brand. That is really fascinating. So Kathy, you have been credited as the first professional to hold the title of chief metaverse officer. What is that like? And do you expect more companies to have chief metaverse officers? I guess we'll have to define CMOs differently now. It's not just marketing officers. I was very proud to be one of the first people to have that title. I'm considered the world's first chief metaverse officer, someone that kind of championed the title, maybe created it in some ways. Very proud to have led that. My role has been kind of really going in there, trying to make sense of the future state of the internet. Because to me, the metaverse is kind of that successor state of today's mobile internet. How do we start to make sense of what this means? I always say this to people, if the internet, if social media, if e-commerce, if mobile computing changed your business, which it changed almost everyone's businesses, then what comes next is going to change it again. What I do is kind of try to make sense of that, try to lead these companies into these spaces. That being said, I think that because of the current state we're in and because generative AI has really taken maybe the attention or the hype away from metaverse more into AI, we're seeing less of an interest in like the chief metaverse officer title per se, but these companies still need someone to lead them into this future. 
I don't know if we'll see a lot more chief metaverse officers being appointed in the next year or two. It might take a while, but the companies that already have still have them. So Telefonica, for example, I talked with really early on in their journey. They appointed a chief metaverse officer. She happens to be a woman, which I'm thrilled about. L'Oreal has a chief metaverse officer. CAA, the big agency, has a chief metaverse officer. They're all women. So I think that it's been really exciting for me to see the title grow and kind of evolve. And even if it's not chief metaverse officer, LVMH has a head of metaverse and crypto. There's a lot of different things happening in that space. So I've been honored to be one of the people to champion the title and kind of help lead the brands. I'm excited to hear you observe there are women in the space. We probably need more women in the space, I'm assuming. What do you say to women about why the industry is so exciting and how they can get involved, even if they don't have a technology background? I think there's so many opportunities. And this is something that I heard early on from certain people is that if you're in a technical space, you do sometimes need technical skills. We still need people in marketing. We still need people in HR. We still need people in operations and project management. So don't think that you can only work here if you have technical skills. We need more women. We're creating the future and this future is for everyone. So it's really important for everyone to feel welcome. I will say one of the most exciting moments for me in this career was when NASDAQ invited me to open the markets last year in June, both in physical form and in avatar form. The first bell ringing that happened in the physical world and in the metaverse, we did it live on TV, which was quite a gamble, but it all worked out. And during that time before I rang the bell, I said, I am not the typical face that you think of when you think of technology. But that's why it's important. It's because this future is for everyone and I want everyone to feel welcome. We're building this for everyone. And the fact that the first human to open the markets in physical and avatar form was a woman and a Latina at that, I think says a lot about potentially where we're heading in the future. I love that. Thank you for being there to represent and really bring diversity into that. Thanks to my avatar as well. So (laughs) That must have been fun to create. It was stressful, exciting, a lot of sleepless nights, but we pulled it off and it was exciting. Well, so you have a new venture now, Verse Lux, which combines luxury and tech. I'd love to hear about this. How does this span the virtual and physical worlds? In the work I was doing, I got welcomed into the world of fashion. Worked with everyone from Louis Vuitton to Clinique. And fashion is my artistic medium of choice. (laughs) So eventually I decided, doing all these projects with all these Maisons and all these huge companies and brands, why don't I do my own thing? I have a chance to explore, to be in the lab in some ways. So I launched First Lux. And Verselux is my own luxury tech label. It is part label, part lab. So we get to do really fun things. It's fashion-based. It is focused on disrupting luxury, disrupting fashion, moving fast. Our first capsule collection is called Frills because I want to live life with all the frills. It's jewelry, 18 karat gold and silver and gold-plated jewelry that has an NFC chip in the middle that actually mints into a physical NFT. So digital collectible. Let's get away maybe from the word NFT, but it becomes a digital collectible. The physical jewelry that you actually buy, you actually mint it in its virtual form. So the virtual form of the jewelry is connected to the physical form in perpetuity. It's really exciting because it's a way to create provenance, is a way to create legacy as well to make sure that what you are getting is what it actually says it is. And then even for like posterity, someone was joking and said, wow, can you imagine if someone like Ariana were to buy your jewelry and then they sell it because it's on the blockchain, people could see that that was owned by Ariana. So that will always have a premium, hypothetically. And does that mean for you as a creator, you get the benefits or you get some sort of 
financial or virtual reward from that? I'm not doing anything with royalties or anything like that. I think for me, it was just to kind of prove the point that you need to start to find ways to merge the physical and the virtual because that's where it's all heading. Testing that and also testing the luxury. I think at that point in the market, there was mostly a lot of connected fashion that used these NFC chips, but there were mostly hoodies and sneakers and t-shirts, which are lovely and I love, but I wanted to wear something more luxurious. I wanted to wear something else. We're launching soon with a really big partner. So we're really excited about that. But I've had a lot of women reach out and say, oh my gosh, I love this because I can express that I'm part of this Web3 world in a fashionable way. Or I've had men reach out and say, I cannot wait to buy it because it's a way for me to show my wife something related to what I'm doing that is not a sneaker or a t-shirt and she can wear it. I'm really excited about it. Will you also design just for virtual worlds? Part of it is working in just virtual couture. So things that exist only in the virtual space. I said the world's next Coco Chanel is probably a 10-year-old girl designing skins in Roblox. Really crazy to think about. But if you look at everything that's happening in the fashion industry, a couple of weeks ago, the CEO of Roblox, they had their big developers conference and he usually gives five-year predictions. And one of those predictions was that one of the world's next fashion designers will not create anything in the physical world. There's this whole economy happening in these virtual spaces that is bigger than Hollywood and music put together. I don't think people realize how big the gaming economy is. And I see a lot of opportunity. And you're already starting to see a lot of universities like Parsons or Polymoda starting to create programs around virtual fashion. I took it a step further and I said, well, if I want the next Coco de Chanel to be this girl, she's going to need funding. She's going to need opportunities. So one thing that I did very recently is I partnered with Florida International University, who actually just got rated as one of the top universities and thrilled for them. I partnered with them to launch one of the world's first virtual fashion endowed scholarships called the Kathy Hackle Virtual Fashion Endowed Scholarship. We're starting off small, but we're hoping to grow it. And the whole goal there is to help fund students whose passion is to become that virtual fashion designer. You're going to find that person. That's amazing. So Kathy, you have a book called Into the Metaverse. You explore the business opportunities of the Web3 era. So what inspired you to write this? And what are your key messages in the book? I'm a storyteller at heart. So writing books is just another way for me to kind of bring those stories to different audiences, to the business world. It's funny because people are like, you're so technologically advanced, why are you writing a book? But I'm like, books are still incredibly relevant. They will continue to be very relevant forever. I think in writing the book, it was one of the first metaverse books published out there. What I wanted to do is help people get comfortable with the idea of this convergence of physical and virtual and start to make sense of what is the business value here? What is the potential? What are the opportunities? Beyond just defining the metaverse, I always say I'm not interested in defining it. I want to build it. I will not be debating the definitions. The main takeaways is definitely, what does this mean for business? What does this mean in the long term? I will tell you, it was very exciting by chance, just by chance. And that's how life happens. I was actually able to launch the book in January when I was speaking at Davos. On the day I was speaking on the official World Economic Forum Davos program, I launched my book. And it was a panel on the metaverse, investing in the metaverse. So I was like, wow, serendipitous. There's just a lot the business world needs to understand about this future that is being built. That being said, I'm always moving forward, always creating new things. I've already started working on my new book that's coming out May of next year. It's about artificial intelligence and spatial computing. So trying to make sense of the AI revolution that we're going through right now that everyone is crazy about. And also, what does this mean? What does AI have to do with spatial computing, which is the next computing platform, the next computing era that companies like Apple and Meta, for example, are leading the way into? What I call the post-smartphone future, what comes after the mobile phone. Sharing 
a lot of the knowledge I've acquired over the years working deep inside tech. You referenced before just how AI seems to be the latest thing people are focused on versus the metaverse. How do you plan to bring that all together in your writing and showcase how the technology will actually be used in the virtual world? So here's where I think partnering with other strong, amazing women is critical for a lot of us. So I'm a very much a spatial computing person. That's where my mind is in the work I'm doing. I've partnered with Irina Cronin. She's the CEO of Infinite Retina. And she is really, really hyper-focused on AI. So I said, okay, I've got my strengths here in spatial. She's really deep into AI in Silicon Valley. Why don't we partner and make sense of all of this together? We're working on it together. Two very strong, smart women really putting their brains together to write something really smart. That's kind of how I'm approaching it. I know what I don't know. And I know that sometimes I need to kind of rely on some of my fellow women in tech. So it was a perfect partnership. I love that. That is great to bring another woman into the field. And so what advice would you give to businesses that want to be in the metaverse and haven't yet figured out how to put their brand there and how to really drive growth there? I think take a step back from the word metaverse, because I think that word makes some people nervous now. (laughs) Or they said, oh, the hype is dead, or it was only virtual reality. I'm like, no, 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 step away. It is the successor state to today's mobile internet. So if you think about that, what does this mean for you as a company? How are people going to bank in the future? How are people going to work in the future? How are people going to socialize in the future? So taking a step back and thinking through that and starting to test things. Walmart did something big, of course, but it doesn't mean that every company or every brand needs to do something giant. They can do little things and they can start to test things. They don't have to go all in. I think that they just have to start to understand and prepare for that future. Reading the book, obviously a great resource, but there's plenty of other great resources out there, free resources on how to educate yourself and start working. And big piece of advice, I think, for anyone out there, especially in corporate America, sometimes the youngest person in the room might be the smartest. If you are interested in this kind of coming era where virtual and physical meet, sometimes listen to those younger folks. I was having a talk with a recruiting HR team at a big company. And they said, I would suggest that you go back and maybe see who within your ranks has game development skills. Who knows Unity or Unreal? You might have probably not even looked at it when they had it in their resume because it was not relevant to the position. And you might already have people here that have those skills that you can bring on board that know your company, that know your brand. There's, I think, a lot of opportunity to go back and say, wow, we already have amazing talent. We just didn't realize we had it. I'm wondering, maybe this is a selfish question, but how do older generations really get in on this? Where do you see consumers that didn't grow up as digital natives being in this environment, taking advantage of it, either through experiences or as businesses that they want to start? I think it's starting with losing the fear, especially when I talk gaming or like some of these games, people immediately, especially like on the C-suite, they're like, (gasps) freeze up. And they're like, I've never been in there. I don't want to touch a switch in front of my kids. I'm going to be embarrassed. We do these moments with like C-suites or with like teams where we actually bring a lot of this technology to them, say, this is a safe space. (laughs) Let's play Roblox together. Let me show you how you buy an item. Let me show you what your kids are doing or what the younger consumer is doing. Going in there, playing with your kids, they're your best window into the future. If you're a parent or a grandparent or have any type of child in your life, talk to them. They really have so much insight into what this economies of scale are doing and how things are happening. And then just educating yourself. It doesn't mean you need to become a gamer. It doesn't mean you need to become a chief futurist. It just means maybe read on the things that are happening. Another big thing that I've been talking a lot on stages out there in the world is also because of the moment we're in with people so hyper fixated in generative AI, and rightfully so, 
I also think people need to expand what we call their AIQ, their IQ for AI. AI is a bigger puzzle, like a bigger pie. There's so many parts to AI that right now people are really focused on learning generative AI, and that's great. But eventually that'll change and evolve and it'll become the tool. It behooves everyone, if they are interested in understanding that, understanding other parts of AI. You don't have to become a machine learning or computer vision expert. That's not what I'm saying. But try to understand that AI is part of a bigger, bigger part. It's a bigger pie. It's not just generative AI and chat GPT. Think broader. I think that that's something I'm seeing missing in a lot of corporate teams is they're so hyper-focused on how do we use chat GPT and that's great. What does this really mean when you're thinking about the grander scale of things? Mm, I love that. No, thank you. And just listening to you talk, it really makes me think I should really join my kids in Roblox. I usually tell them, get off those games, but maybe I should get in on the games with them so I can understand that better and see what the allure is and see what they can create there. So you're a mother to three children. How does being a mother to children influence your role as a futurist? Looking at the future they're going to grow up into, does that work its way into your work? Everything I do is with them in mind. As a parent, I want to try to leave this world better than I found it for my kids. They're the best window into the future that I've got. I spend a lot of time and attention talking to them, to their friends, trying to make sense of the things that they're saying, the trends that I'm seeing, asking questions. Sometimes I really don't know what they're saying. Can you explain what this word means? I am lost. They'll laugh and they'll think it's cringe, but then I'll educate myself. Build that relationship with them. I think that's important. And then giving them the tools. This is something that happened last year that to me was very powerful with my son. He was a big fan of a gamer called Technoblade, young 26-year-old gamer, very well known in the space, passed away from cancer at 26. He came into my office and he was shaken. He was like, mom, I just heard Technoblade died. I'm so sad. Technoblade's dad read this letter on YouTube. And then he said, I've got an idea. And he went away for like 30 minutes and then came back to my office and said, mommy, I need to show you something. And I went over to his desk. And like I mentioned, he's a Roblox developer. He created a memorial for Technoblade in Roblox. That to me was powerful because technology had given him the tools to take something that for anyone, grief, these feelings, that for any person, no matter what age, is hard to process. And he found a way to let it out, a way to create, to make sense of what he's feeling. And that to me is powerful. That to me was that moment where I said, yes, we can talk about gaming, but like there's so much power in being able to kind of express yourself using this technology. And that to me is like a great example of don't think it's all bad. There's a lot of great things out there and what they are able to create and how they're able to channel that. You know, you really enlightened me, Kathy, in so many ways on what the technology can be used for. Our children in the metaverse, the brands really appreciate this. What's one thing you want listeners to really remember from this conversation? I just want them to remain hopeful. There's so much doom saying, and rightfully so, I think we should be worried about a lot of things. I do want people to remain hopeful. That's what we're leaving our children. We have to build something better for them. So just remain hopeful and live your life like a lighthouse. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Kathy. I enjoyed hearing about her current projects and how she's partnered with other strong and amazing women to ensure greater diversity in the metaverse. I love the way she thinks about new experiences there and the power of expressing yourself with new technology. Next time my kids are on Roblox, I plan to join them there. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash W-O-T-M. 
For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.